Heavenly Father, we just call on your name now, Lord, inviting you into this place. Father, as we open up your word, we lay aside all the preconceived ideas and the thoughts that we've had about ourselves and about our others this week. And Lord, that we will yield to the Holy Spirit as it may speak to us, as it may challenge us. Lord, we will not understand your word without your spirit, so we invite, Lord, let us say better that we yield our mind and our heart so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us now. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, this morning we come, many of us, into this place. Many of us with lots of different stories, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different things that's happened in our life that's brought us to the point where we are. We have different ages, different economic backgrounds, different stages of life. Some of us still have kids at home and some do not. Some are anxiously awaiting when they do have children, and some are anxiously awaiting just to find somebody who will go out with them. So we have all kinds of stories and journeys and people here today. But I would venture to say one of the things that we all have in common is this desire to truly make a difference. That desire to be significant. To do something for a holy and living God that is huge. But we often get caught up in our own stuff, don't we? We have things that come along, but I think today God's got a word for you and for I that may help. Our world is desperately in need of some heroes. Can I get an amen? Come on, y'all help, help me this morning. We need some authentic heroes. Some that are real and transparent. Some that truly follow God regardless of what the culture may say. I believe we've got some in this room that I have seen in these young people that, that we have here. We need more of them who will stand taller. Who will be the ones to be that voice crying out in the wilderness. Today, I want you to know that we're going to begin a series on a man by the name of David. Probably someone you've heard of before. A name that you have probably, if you've been around church at all, you have heard the name David. For he has got more chapters written about him in the Old Testament than any other character. He is mentioned more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament character. So if you've been around church at all, you've heard of this man by the name of David. So why should we even care to look at a man's life when it comes to church in our life? Well, what's amazing is as we look at people like David in the Old Testament, we're going to find that they rise to the occasion, that they are heroes, but we also will find they're human like you and I. That they have faults, that they do fail, that there are moments when everything around them seems to become crashing down. 
Boris Pasternak, he was a Russian poet. He wrote these words that I think are, are so important as we get into this series. It is not revolutions and upheavals that clear the road to new and better days. But it's someone's soul inspired and set ablaze. That is so true today that we don't need new revolutions and, and new ideas. We need people who will rise up as children of God to walk His path and His way so that God can use them in a way that will change lives forever. So as we jump into this, we're going to find that there is a struggle, that there is a, there is a way and a path that we can relate. It's exciting to look at these Old Testament characters because if I had been writing the Bible and I had been God, I would have left out all the bad stuff. I would have only put the good things and showed you just how great <coughs> all these people were. Excuse me. So what do I have to do to be used by God? What is it that... I must overcome what insufficiencies, what sins, what's happening in my life that's keeping me from being used by God like David was. Well, in 1930, Carl Sandburg finished a four-volume masterpiece on Abraham Lincoln. <coughs> Excuse me again. And one of the things he mentions in there is an old woodman's proverb that says, a tree is best measured when it's down. It's best measured... It's best to measure a person's life after they have lived it to see exactly what their character, their nature, their passions, their flaws, and the good things about their life. So that's what we're going to do with David. He has, like I said earlier, more chapters written about him. 66 chapters written about this man by the name of David. There's only 16 written about Abraham. And then there's several written about Moses, but there's not as many as been written about this man by the name of David. David didn't look a lot different than you and I. He wore different clothes, grant you that. But he was not a lot different than you and I. He had breakfast. He had lunch. He ate dinner. He had to drink water occasionally. He had coughs. I'm sure he had colds. He had moments in his life where he was sad and when he was happy. As we look at someone like David, we don't want to see him as some fictional character that never lived on this earth, but someone who walked just like you and I. But he was a shepherd. A shepherd during this time, that was the dirty job. That's, that's the one that no one really wanted to do. And as a matter of fact, we'll find out that... He was the youngest boy of eight. Anybody in here ever had eight boys? Anybody in here ever had seven boys? Six? Five? Five boys. God bless you. Let's pray for her after the service. She deserves some extra prayer. Doesn't she, Jackie and Roscoe? <laughs> eight boys. And he was the youngest. And he was allotted the job of being the shepherd. Primarily probably because the rest of the family said, I don't want to do it. Let him do it. That was kind of the role that David fell into. He lived in a place called Bethlehem. 
Have you ever heard of Bethlehem? Bethlehem is an important place. It means the house of bread. David was born and grew up in this place called Bethlehem. His father's name was Jesse. He had seven brothers. What's going on in the culture during this time is they are drifting away from a holy and living God. God has had, had sent some judges to, to rescue them, to be their heroes from some of the, the, the enemies in the area. And Solomon was, uh, Samuel was one of those, and he had some sons, and he had tried to pass on that duty to his sons, and his sons were utter failures at it, for they were robbing the people and treating them so horribly in an ungodly fashion. And the people would not listen to what God had asked and wanted from them. And so they desired to be like everybody else. They desired to have a king. And they gave three reasons whenever they got together and met. They said, number one, Samuel, we want a king because you're getting old. Number two, you're getting old and we don't like your sons. They are bad leaders and we, we just don't want them to be in charge. And the third reason is we won't be like everybody else. Everybody else has got kings, so we just feel that we need to be the same and have some kings. And so they were drifting away from a holy and living God. So, so what happens is there is a, a king instituted and put into place. His name was Saul. He was tall, dark, and handsome. Man, when he walked into the room, all the girls turned and went, hello, hello. But he turned out to be a failure. For it... At the front end, during the honeymoon phase, he did well. But then after he settled into his position, he found himself being rejected by God because of disobedience. Because of utter lack of following a holy and living God. So Samuel is old and, and Saul has been rejected as king. And the people, they are walking away from God. And so this young boy that we're talking about by the name of David, he is born 10 years into Saul being king. So after Saul was king for 10 years, David is born. David, on the surface, seems like a superhero. He seems like a young man that did everything right. But don't get the wrong idea here. God chose David not because of his perfection, but because of, of his imperfected, obedient, surrendered heart to a holy and living God. What kind of people does God choose? Well, I want us to talk about that today, and there's some things I want you to know. We're going to get into the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, if you'll turn your Bibles there and, and look at that. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to begin reading in verse 4. God has come to Samuel and said, Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to prepare some heifers. And there's some elders that saw Samuel coming and they thought they were in trouble. Oh my goodness, why is the, why is the prophet here? He is going to give us bad news and we're going to be in trouble. But rather, he tells them to consecrate themselves and get ready. Let's begin reading in verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now what does that consecration mean? It means that they had to <coughs> prepare themselves and do things to make themselves clean before God. There were sacrifices that needed to be made and things that they needed to do to make sure that when they were near God that they were holy. Things that had been instituted by the Old Testament. But I find something very interesting here and I don't want you to miss that it says he consecrated Jesse and who? It says Jesse and who? His sons. Now we're going to find out in just a second that they had to send for one of them that was not in the room. So in this consecration, they left one of them out. They only consecrated the ones that they thought were good enough to be there while the other one was still in the field. Verse 6, when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here's something for you to know. Something for you to write down to make sure that you get. And that is that God looks beyond the surface. See, when Samuel looked at Eliab, the oldest of the boys, he thought, this has got to be the dude. Man, he's the oldest. He looks good. He's the kind of guy who could be the leader. He's the one to be king. But God said, no, Samuel, he is not the one. See, the thing is, we often want to look on the outside and judge what the person is like, don't we? We often want to look and see if a person is worthy of our friendship or worthy to be a leader based on their outward appearance, based on what you can see them do and perform on the outside. But God makes it clear here. He does not simply look on the surface, but He looks much deeper than that. Now here's an interesting tidbit that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks probably, is that Eliab, the oldest of the sons, we see him again whenever Goliath is before Israel. And when David goes to Eliab and takes him some food, Eliab is negative and he's a complainer and he lacks faith. See, God understood his heart. Samuel could only see his face. So when it comes to being used by God, God doesn't simply look at the outward appearance. You may look at yourself and say, well, I'm not... I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. My hair is receding. I got wrinkles all over my face. I'm just sharing with y'all what I say every morning when I look in the mirror. Where in the world did that spot come from? How did I get that? You know, these things begin to happen and we begin to wonder. And then we start looking at other things, don't we? Well, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough education. And then we begin to start looking at our background. Well, look where I've come from. Look at what's happened in my life. Look at how I was treated. Then we start looking at ourselves. Look what a mess I am. I, I have just done all these things wrong. I've done all these things bad. And God's not going to use somebody like me. He could use the pastor. Look at him. I mean, he's the pastor, but he can't use me. We do that, don't we? 
That is a very dangerous road to walk because when God looks at you, He doesn't see you as someone who cannot be used by Him. He sees you as somebody who has such great potential. Because He doesn't look at the surface. He doesn't look at the things that you and I look at. He looks at the heart. Let's continue reading in verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? I wonder if Samuel's wondering what's going on. And Jesse said, There remains yet this, the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. The second thing about things that you need to know is this, that we see limits, but God sees potential. See, even his own father said he wasn't fit to be in the room with Samuel. He was only fit to be out in the field taking care of the sheep. His own father rejected him. There's some people listening to me today whose father rejected you. Whose father you wanted to hear, I'm proud of you from, and you never received it. There are people hearing me today who wish their fathers had just simply said, I love you, and you never received it. Do not think that that will disqualify you from being used by God. There's a lot of baggage that comes with that. But God can still use you because, see, what we do is we see the limits. We see, oh, he's too short. Oh, he's too tall. Well, she's not pretty enough. She doesn't know enough. She's not thin enough. We use all these things and we limit people. But when God looks at you, the only limit He sees is the surrender of you to the Holy Spirit in your life. He doesn't see your height, your education, even your ability to speak. He doesn't look at your musical ability and go, Well, when you get that right, then I'm, I might use you in music. No, if God's called you to do something, you better do it because He's going to empower you to do it. See, we see limits when we look at ourselves and when, when we look at other people. We put a lid on people. But God, when He looks, all He sees is potential. This is such a beautiful thing. Don't miss this today. Somebody turn to your neighbor and, 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 and poke them and wake them up and say, Potential. potential. Turn, tell your other neighbor, You have potential. <laughs> We all have potential when it comes to God looking at us. When I think back about my own life, I think of this little crippled boy that everybody made fun of. And I will let you know that I saw no potential in me. All I saw was limits. I saw the limits of what I could do, where I could go, and what I'd ever be. But God looked down at that crippled boy and said, Oh, you have such great potential. Let me do something in your life that will transform other people's lives. And he called me into the ministry. 
You know, yeah, how I would love to have caught a touchdown and done a touchdown dance in the end zone. But God saved that for my son to do, to be a star on a football team. He gave me a calling to be up here, to preach His Word, to care for people. And you know what? No touchdown in this world that I could ever score in front of millions of people would equal the opportunity and the potential God gave to me by doing what I'm doing. You have a potential to do something today. God wants you engaged and involved in something. When He looks at you, He doesn't see your limits. He only sees your potential. But we don't, do we? We only see... What's impossible? Jeremiah 29, 11. Who knows that? For I know the plans I have for you. They're limited. Don't try to do too much and don't dream too big. Is that what Jeremiah 29, 11 says? No, God said, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. He sees potential in you. Regardless of what other people have said, there's potential. There is potential. Suddenly, this boy who had just been seen as a shepherd, not even worthy to be in the room, suddenly, this nobody would become somebody. This nobody who thought there's no way for him to measure up became something important. His own father forgot about him, but God knew right where he was. And so when they called him, something great happened. Let's read verses 12 and 13. So he sent and brought him. Now, he was was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. I wish I had a voice like James Earl Jones when I read when God speaks. I was telling somebody this week, that if I could listen to God speak, it would probably be James Earl Jones's voice. I don't have that voice, so let's just use our imaginations. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Listen to me. Our potential is not measured in your position. It's not measured in what you're doing in life at this present moment. Your potential is measured by God's anointing in your life. What does that mean? That God has touched you and He has set set you apart. He has called you to do something. Some of you are probably sitting here today. This, This message has nothing to do with me. I'm not anointed. I'm not called. I got news for you. If you are breathing right now, this message has to do with you. So unless you have stopped breathing, then you can stop listening. If you are breathing, listen to me. God wants to anoint you and set you apart for something that you never thought possible. You know, there are people in this room that send birthday cards on behalf of the church to people. And I have received uh, words from people going, how wonderful and precious it is to get those cards to be thought about. Thank you for that calling. There are many of you that's got different callings that you do. And you do those things well. God has anointed you. And let me tell you, your potential is not measured by your position. See, our potential is measured by God's anointing and not our position nor time. Because check this out. After, after Samuel anoints David, 
after he sets him apart and God mightily comes upon David, you know where David went? He went back to work. He went back to the field, back with the sheep. You would think, man, when God anoints me, boy, God's just going to pour it out and I'm going I'm to be able to do this and I'm going to be able to do that and all these things are going to be happening in my life. But I got news for you. Sometimes God will anoint you and put you right back where you were to prepare you for what He's got for you later because you're not quite ready for it. You got the anointing, but you got a little work to do. There's got to be a little shaping done in your life. Because this is something you need to know. Are you enough? Let me tell you. God chooses the nobodies and makes them into somebodies. God takes the nobodies and makes them into somebodies. See, you can try to go to school. You can get an education. You can dress up. You can watch YouTube videos and learn how to do all kinds of things. But until God touches you, you won't really know what being somebody is. You'll still be a nobody if you keep trying to do it on your own. But when you completely release yourself and turn yourself over to God. Man, He will take a nobody and make you a somebody just like that. Last year, He turned all the pastors into televangelists overnight. Bam! What does He want to do in your life? What does He want to do to change your life and to create something in you that will flow out of you that will make a difference? God chooses the nobodies and makes them into somebodies. Again, I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares your friends. No, declares the Lord. Let me tell you something. Your friends will tell you what's good and what's bad in a heartbeat. They're going to tell you what looks good, what looks bad, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how, how to deal with girls, how to deal with conflict. They'll tell you all kinds of things. And can I tell you something? Sometimes they're flat out wrong. All right, let's just be real. Sometimes our friends are just flat out wrong sometimes. Sometimes they can give us some good advice. But let me tell you who determines whether we're going to be somebody. The Lord has declared, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Our God wants to take nobodies and turn them into somebodies. David did not begin in the palace. He began in the field as a shepherd. He didn't begin sitting on the throne. He began sitting in a field in some grass holding a staff. He began having to fight lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. He began having to deal with dirty, stinky, mean, biting sheep before he got to the palace. But his anointing did not begin when he got to the palace. It began when he was in the field. So today, if you think, man, i got a long way to go. No, you need to just step back and say, I'm going with God no matter how long it takes. Because it's going to take time sometimes. Some people, they discover who they are and where they're going. And some it takes time. And that is perfectly okay. I want to give you another little tidbit of information about David here that you may not realize. How many sons came before Samuel before David came along? How many? Seven. Seven is the number of what? It's the number of completion. The earth was created in how many days? Seven days. The number eight, biblically, is the number for new beginnings. David was what numbered son? 
eight. He was the eighth son in the in Jesse's family. Let me tell you something. That was not by accident. David was not a oops baby. God knew exactly David needed to be born. His character was going to be what was needed to give Israel a brand new life and a brand new future. He was a new beginning. The number eight, David, was the new beginning biblically for this country, for this nation. But yet, he woke up that morning had his breakfast, packed his bag, went out to the field, and did the same thing he had always done. But I just imagine, imagine with me just for a moment, that David sat in that field many a night, looking up at the stars, seeing the hand of God and the creation that he had made. And he probably began to play his musical instrument with the background vocals of the sheep, backing him up. And he sat there and he would play. And he would begin to write songs. And he would sense the presence of God. God prepared him in the isolation of that field for the glory of leading an entire nation and being in a palace. So you cannot come today and say, well... I don't have what it takes that God can use me. I got news for you. I'm going to go back to it again. If you're breathing, this message is for you. You are significant in God's eyes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It actually says this, that we are His workmanship or masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good works beforehand. Let me tell you, God has a plan for each of you. It's not simply to get up on Monday, go to work, work Monday through Friday, get up on Saturday, cut the grass, come home, and then maybe go to church on Sunday if you feel like it. God, that is not His plan for you. He wants you to find something so fulfilling in doing His desire. See, David, David, his anointing came because his heart and his mind was right and ready. He understood. And he understood that who he was was not based on his position, but based on what God had said. So what must we do? Well, I can tell you one of the things we like to do is we like to keep it superficial. We like to keep it what we can see. But if I was to stand up here to say today, and I want you all to understand, I love you. I love you, Chad. I love you, buddy. I really love you. I love all of you. But you're a sad-looking bunch of people. You don't look like you've got a whole lot of potential. I see people with gray hair, man rubbing his belly. Wishing he had lunch right now. I'm, I'm seeing people who are wore out and beat down with, with medical issues. People who have questions about their life. You're a sad looking bunch of people. But you know what? That's right where you need to be. Because God, when He looks at all of you, He looks at every single person and says, Man, look at her potential. Look at His potential. There is no stopping them. If only they will just surrender and give everything to me. Because, see, that's what we must do. We have to surrender all of my life to Christ. Not just the Sunday morning, not just the, the occasional devotion, but every area of your life. 
speaking with someone just last night, and it was so good to hear how he's radically changed his life. He used to get up and listen to the weather station. He used to get up and start listening to hip hop or, or, or stuff like that. But now when he gets up, he said, the first thing I, I turn on is worship music. Let me tell you something. That's given all of your life. Pastor, should I not be listening to country music or, or, or any of this? No, that's not what I'm saying. You have to give all of your life to Christ. And if, if, if you refuse to give your, that portion to God, then you're not giving Him all your life. You need to give Him all of your life if He's going to use you. God is not going to take 80% of you and do something 100% of you could do. He wants 100% of you so you can do 200% of what you could do. God wants to use you in ways you never thought possible. What is God really looking for? He is looking for men and women who are totally surrendered to God, who is totally surrendered to Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. God is looking for those who have turned their lives spiritually and made that a priority. David was that young man. David was that young man who had grown in the field to a place where God could use him greatly. So today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your potential is not even tapped into yet. You can think that you can make plans and do a lot of great things, but without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll never reach your full potential. Until you're fully surrendered to Him in everything you think, say, or do, everywhere you go, what you listen to, Unless it's surrendered to Christ. If you're doing something that you'd be embarrassed that Jesus would be sitting next to you, you need to stop it. Okay, let me say that again. If you're doing something in your life, if you're listening to something, saying something, if you're around something, that you would be embarrassed that Jesus would be sitting right next to you to hear, see, or do with you, then you need to stop it. Okay, that's as black and white as I know how to put it. Christ wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to access your life and plant inside of you the potential of greatness. Jesus himself said, these things you have seen me do, you will do greater. As he is speaking to the disciples. How can anybody do greater than Jesus? He was the son of God. Well, he said that the disciples could. And the Word of God says that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. If you think you do not have potential, you haven't been looking through the lens of the Bible. No matter where you are in your stage of life, you've got potential to be used by God. To make a difference. To touch a life. To do something that makes you just excited to get up. And excited to be able to do. So today, if you do not know Jesus, you do not have the greatest potential you're not on that road to finding it. So I invite you right now, if you do not know Jesus, to ask Him to forgive you and take over your life. It's that simple. If you're looking for that thing God wants you to do, let me tell you, it doesn't begin by Googling it. It begins it by praying. It begins by, God, what is it that you want me to do? You've got me totally, completely. I surrender to you. You guide me. And then it takes, you want to know what the next thing is? Patience. Patience to let God show you. To let Him work it out in your life. Because I guarantee you, I'm not where I was 20 years ago. 
And I want, I'm not where I was 30 years ago. And I'm not going to tell you how old I am, so I'm going to stop there. But because of Jesus Christ and my life surrendered to Him, I do have purpose. When I get up and I work, I work hard. And I work a lot. And I will work till there's not an ounce left in my body. But you know what? I'm doing it for Him. So if, if I fall over dead working for the Lord, that's exactly where I want to be. Because I've surrendered to Him. And, and every once in a while, He gives me just a little glimpse. Just a little glimpse of how what I do for Him makes a difference in people's lives. You can do the same thing. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you just need Jesus in your life. You need to ask Him to take over your life and to forgive you. Or maybe you have been a Christian. Maybe you are a follower of Christ. But you feel insignificant. You feel like you don't know which way to go. You don't know what to do. Let me tell you, surrender and be patient. God will open up doors. And if you are just sitting back and, 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 and just trying to enjoy being a Christian, let me tell you, you will not fully enjoy being a Christian until you engage in God's work in some form or fashion. Find a way. Even if it's just praying for people, getting a prayer list. Hey, that's being engaged in ministry. So whatever that is, find it and follow it. Your seven-day challenge is this. This is a pretty simple one. This doesn't take a lot of thinking. It just simply takes just a few seconds, a few moments of your time this week. For those of you who have a phone and you like to text, which is most people, you could just kind of text this note to somebody. And if you don't, you might feel like you may want to make a phone call or you may want to write a handwritten note. Let me tell you something. Handwritten notes these days, man, they mean a lot. Send a note to someone this week. Over the next seven days, pick somebody and send them a note this week and encourage them that they are or can be somebody great for Jesus. Send them a note letting them know that what you are doing, I've noticed this potential in your life. I've noticed that you are uh, working this way or I noticed this little thing that you did and you are great for Jesus. Or send a note to somebody and say, man, I know God's going to use you in a powerful way. Let me tell you, that's engaging in ministry right there. You're doing something that may touch someone's life. I've got a letter that somebody sent me that they don't even realize impacted my life the way it is. But it set me on a trajectory to become a senior pastor because of one letter that I received. It's a precious letter to me. Because it touched my heart in a moment that it needed. Who knows how your note this week may touch someone's life and change their life. Bow your heads and, and close your eyes and pray with me this morning. Father, we know that as we look at ourselves, we see problems. We see insufficiencies. We see issues. We see shortcomings. But Father, when you look at us, you see great potential. You see within us things that we've never seen about ourselves. 
Lord, you know the mess we are in. We know, you know the mess of all the things that we think and the things that we do. And you're waiting for us to completely surrender to you. So, Lord, right now in this moment, may we surrender to you. Surrender everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do, we surrender to you. Lord, use us this week to encourage people. Lord, for those who are here in this room or watching online today, who feel like they cannot be used by God, may they, may they hear a prompting from you. May they feel a prompting of the Spirit. As Samuel anointed David, you came upon him mightily. Father, there was a process there where David had to come and Samuel had to anoint him for that to take place. It's not magic and it doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens in our obedience. And Lord, we ask that, God, today we just surrender to you. Lord, we want to be used by you. Take all of us now, all of our burdens, all of our hurts, all of our pains, and use us and for your glory. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, if you need prayer this morning, would you come? The deacons are going to come. and Maybe their wives will be up here. If you need to come and pray, if you're looking for God to use you, a great first step is just to come. You know, I was thinking about this invitation, and it just hit me just then that David was out in the field. Samuel did not go out to the field and anoint David. He simply said, tell him to come. So that's what we're asking of you today. Would you come? Would you come today for prayer if you're looking for significance, if you're looking for help, if you've got a burden, would you come today and meet God right here in this place?